Uh, we don't know each other yet, but I believe that we want the same thing this morning. I just want what God wants. And my prayer is, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done, Lord. Teach me, Lord, to do Thy will. And I'm just a sinner saved by the grace of God. Amen. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, we're going to turn to the 46th Psalm. Uh, the 46th Psalm. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Looking forward to breaking bread with you this week. Amen. It's been a long time coming, over two years in the making, so I'm, I'm really pumped and excited to be here this morning, and I'm looking forward to everything that God is going to do. I just have high expectations this morning. Amen. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Amen. The prerequisites are hungry and thirsty people, and that's, I fit that bill this morning. Amen. And what a powerful word from Pastor. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. If we shut it down right now and walk away, I would have been ministered to this morning. And I'm thankful for that word. But in Psalms 46, and real quickly, uh, this may help us to, to understand a little bit. The Bible is mostly narrative. It, it tells us a story. Uh, gives us the events, it tells us what happened in ancient Israel, the history of the world, and uh, it just tells us what they did, where they went, how it came about. But when you get to the book of Psalms, Psalms is a little different. It doesn't necessarily t gives us a narrative, tells a story, but it takes us a little deeper into the interior of the soul. And it doesn't tell us what they've done, it tells us what they thought. It gives us a trip inside the mind of ancient Israel. And um, when we understand it, look at it in that view, we, it helps us go a little deeper. And in Psalms chapter 46, it starts off like this, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Amen. Are you thankful for a present God? He's not distant. He's not too far from you. The Lord is nigh unto those of a broken heart. Therefore will not we fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. Selah. It's, it's describing turbulent times. Chaos, and certainly we all know about turbulence and, and hardships, and especially the last two and a half years we've uh, endured with the pandemic and everything that's happened, the unrest. But Selah is a, is a unique word. There's a lot of ambiguity there, but most understand it to mean it is an interlude. It's a pause in the musical progression of the song. And for us, it's a time to stop and to reflect. Look back. Think on what you just heard, what was just said. When Charles Spurgeon was writing about the Selah, he says it is a precious moment and a timely pause. And we can do ourselves good with this because in the middle of turbulence, hardships, uncertainty, 
We worry, we stress, we get anxiety, we get fear, we garner all of these emotions when if we just stop for a moment and look back and remember that God is our refuge and our strength. And He's a very present help in times of trouble. Amen. Amen. There is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, and she shall not be moved. God shall help her, and that right early. The heathen raged, the kingdoms were moved. He uttered His voice, the earth melted. Verse 7, The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Think about it. Remember. Come, behold the works of the Lord, what desolations He hath made in the earth. He maketh wars to seize unto the end of the earth. He breaketh the bow and cutteth the spear in sunder. He burneth the chariot in the fire. And verse 10 will be our emphasis this morning. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen and I will be exalted in the earth. Do we need any more assurance this morning other than to be still and know? It's worth noting that the psalmist is writing about God throughout this chapter in the third person. Writing about God. But yet in verse 10, God interrupts the psalmist and He speaks to us directly and says, Be still and know that I am God. It was a direct word from the Lord. Verse 11 it says, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Amen. And so with the help of the Lord this morning, I want to preach to you to be still and know. Be still and know. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word this morning. God, let it break us, shape us, and mold us. I pray, Lord, that your, heart, your word would fall on fertile ground this morning, that my heart and my mind would be fertile ground for your word, Lord. Help us to decrease so that you may increase, God. Lord, I pray that you would place your words in my mouth, your thoughts in my mind, God. Your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, O oh God. Help me, Lord, to preach your word and to hold your lamp in such a way where my hand is not seen, but your name is glorified and your body is edified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Praise God. You may be seated this morning if you'd like. Amen. Be still and know that I am God. Praise God. Amen. I'm not a smart man, but thankfully I have learned how to read, and so I like to read. And um, I was reading one time an article, and this is all speculative science, pretty much. They're always changing things, they're learning, and 
and what have you, but a group of scientists came together and they come to the conclusion that human beings are mostly predictable. Um, matter of fact, they put a number on it. I don't know how they got that number, but they said we are 93% predictable. And so as I began to read and study this a little bit, I, I believe there's some truth to what they have said. I don't know if 93% is the number that uh, is solidified that should be the final say, but let's think about it. Um, our mind is broken up into two pieces. We have an emotional, impulsive side, and we have a logical, rational side. And a lot of times we are governed ruled by our emotions. Those impulsive decisions come from the emotional side of the brain. Uh, you ask people, well, why did you run into that person on the freeway? Because they, they passed me up and, and honked at me. You know, it was road rage. Or why did you do this and why did you do that? They didn't think in the moment. It was an impulsive, emotional decision. And so because of that, we are predictable. We tend to be driven by our emotions. Uh, it's not always a bad thing. God gave us emotions. God himself has emotions. Uh, they just need to be governed and ruled by his spirit, filtered through his word. Amen. And um, you can see this out in the world. Uh, you, you look at politicians. They're pretty good at what they do. I'm not a fan, but they're good at what they do. Um, and they know typically how generally the population is going to respond or act before they say something because it's going to pull an emotional response out. Um, I've literally, I've listened to the President of the United States give a speech through the radio and I pulled up my phone and I'm watching the stock market rise and fall by the second uh, depending on what the President was saying. Why? Because it's driven by emotion. People are emotional. We make impulsive decisions. And so I just have to believe that if scientists are coming to this conclusion, uh, politicians have figured this out, and unfortunately some people with ul ulterior motives, they use this to their advantage, then the enemy of our soul, Satan himself, will use this against us in the battle for our souls. Amen. But I'm thankful that God has a plan. God always has a plan. In John chapter 10 and verse 10, Jesus says, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. He lets us know from the beginning, I know what the thief is out to do. I understand completely his motive. And if Jesus were to stop right there, this would be disheartening. It would be discouraging. But in the same breath, he says, but I have come that you may have life and life more abundantly. Amen. In other words, I know the enemy has a plan, but Jesus said, I too have a plan. And I don't know about you, but I am thankful for that abundant life this morning. That I am not subject to the enemy this morning, but I have an abundant life in Jesus Christ. Amen. God always has a plan. And we can personalize this in Luke chapter 22, in verse 31. Jesus was speaking to Simon Peter. And he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, 
2,000 years removed from this statement, and I can say with certainty this morning, it remains the same. Satan desires to have you. He desires to have your family. He is not your friend. He is your enemy. And he will do everything he can to deceive you. Amen. Satan desires to have you, Peter. Now Jesus could have said, but I'm not going to allow this to happen. I would have appreciated that if I were Peter. God doesn't always prevent us from going through the process. We learn, we grow through the process. That's a story from another time. But we should embrace the process. But watch this. He does not leave them, gives him the problem without giving him a solution. Satan desires to have you that he may sift you as wheat. I know his means. I know how he's going to do this. But watch this in verse 32. Jesus says, but I have prayed for thee that thy faith fails not. It's worth noting what Jesus prayed for, my friends. Jesus did not say, I prayed that your intellect, your logic, your reasoning doesn't fail. I didn't pray that your physical strength doesn't fail. We like to depend on ourselves and our minds and our strength and our abilities, but when it's all said and done and the enemy has pushed us into a corner and he's coming in like a flood, Jesus said, I prayed that your faith fails not. And that lets me know that when I am in my darkest hour, in the lowest valley, looking up at my greatest adversary, it is my faith in God that's going to get me through to the other side. My hope, my trust, my belief in Him is going to see me through to a brighter day. Amen. You don't have to understand everything. You don't have to get a firm grasp on all things. Just hold on to your faith in the Lord. All other ground is sinking sand. It's my faith in the Lord that's going to see me through. And so this is what he tells, tells Peter. If you can hold on to your faith, you're going to get through the other side. You may not understand it. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways, Isaiah says. And I'm thankful he doesn't say you have to understand all things because I would not qualify. But if you can just be still and know that I am God, trust in me. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And so we see this played out in a story in the Bible. Again, like I said, it's mostly narrative. And we all know the story very well, but it's worth being told again because I believe that remembering can be just as powerful as revelation. We tend to forget some things. And so I need to be reminded over and over again of the goodness of the Lord. Amen? Praise God. But we find this in the story of the beloved son of Jacob. Joseph was his name. Joseph, he finds himself in the middle of a dysfunctional family. Because of Jacob's favoritism to his son Joseph, to express his love for this special son of his, he creates for him a coat of many colors. Now, this coat 
Even though it was a blessing for jo Joseph, it also turned out, it seems to be a curse. Joseph's brothers hated him. They despised him. Again, it was a dysfunctional family by all means. Don't get discouraged because you have dysfunction in your family. There's dysfunction all throughout the Bible. Amen. It gives us the good, the bad, and the ugly. It doesn't filter anything. And we live in a world that's good with filters, but this is real. This is real this morning. It was a dysfunctional family. So much so, they sought to murder Jacob. That was their initial response when they seen their little brother coming across the field. Let's, let's kill Joseph. But Joseph, you see, God had a plan for Joseph's life. He has a plan for your life. And God gave Joseph a dream. And in these dreams that he gave Joseph, Joseph sees himself being elevated, being lifted up among his brethren. He even sees his brothers and his father bowing down to him. What a dream that must have been. God gave me a dream and I'm going to be lifted up and I'm going to be elevated. He was a man like you and I and probably thinks just like you and I. Perhaps he thought, I'm just going to tiptoe through tulips the whole way there, Pastor. No opposition. No obstacles will be in my way. But I wonder what traversed through his mind whenever his brothers pushed him down into that pit and they look down at him and they mock him and they scorn him spit upon him and he watches as they rent his precious coat in pieces symbolically tearing apart his dream I wonder what went through this man's mind you see God showed me that I was going to be elevated I was going to be lifted up but for some reason I've been pushed down I'm going in the wrong direction. It doesn't make sense. Why did God give Joseph that dream? Perhaps God knew. We know that God knows what we're going to face tomorrow. He knows what you're going to face when you walk out those doors. And God knew that when Joseph was in the doldrums of life, he could look back and think on that dream. God gave me a dream. And this is not what it looked like. So maybe God gave Joseph that dream so he can hold on to an ounce of hope. God's not done with me. This can't be how it ends. As powerful as Joseph's dreams were, they were not designed to prevent trouble and heartache from entering Joseph's life. Rather, they were designed to give him hope to endure that trouble. God does not allow us to skip the process. We don't need to fear the process. We embrace the process. Remember that the puzzle was painted before it was ever cut. I am your refuge and your strength. He is a present help in the time of trouble. And so Joseph, this man with the dream, finds himself sold as a slave in Egypt. He does the right things. God was with him in Egypt. He works himself up in Potiphar's household. We know the story. And Potiphar's wife lies on Joseph because of his faithfulness, mind you. Just because you do the right things doesn't mean that everything is going to be a Friday. Don't listen to those that say that will. God will get you through it. God will always be with you. But because of his faithfulness, she lies on Joseph. And now because of her lies, 
Joseph finds himself not only a slave in Egypt, but he's an imprisoned slave in Egypt. God, I thought I was going to be elevated, but you keep allowing me to be pushed further and further down. I'm going further and further away from my dream. Where are you, Lord? But Joseph was a faithful man. It was a moment in his life he had to be still and know that he was God. And then in that, in that prison, he gets a window of hope. We all have seen it. It's a small possibility that things may work out in our favor. This window of hope may be God's way out for me. He interprets the dreams of the butler and the baker. And he tells the butler, when God raises you to his, when, when Pharaoh raises you back to his side, let him know that I am an innocent man. Let him know that I'm here in this prison and I don't belong here. And, Surely Pharaoh will pull me out and, and I can run back into the arms of my father in the land of Canaan again. But what does the Bible say? The chapter ends. The butler forgot Joseph. And if we're honest with ourselves, which is the only way I feel we should be, because you can't lie to yourself and you can't lie to God. There's times we feel we're forgotten by the world. We're forgotten by others, left to rot in the doldrums. Where are you, God? I keep holding on to my faith, Lord. I, I keep believing in you, Jesus, but things keep getting worse and worse. And here I am, I'm forgotten. And the Bible says two years went by. Two whole years. He had to sit. He had to hope. He had to trust that some way, somehow, God has not forgotten about me. That even though I can't see it, God's hands must be weaving through the details. Some way, somehow, God's going to pull me out of this mess. Faithfulness. We love talking about faith. I'm a faith preacher. I love miracles and signs and wonders. It's exciting. But faithfulness, sometimes it's a little harder. It's when you don't see it, but you hold on. And you don't feel it, but you say He knoweth the way that I take. And when He has tried me, when I get through the other side, I'm coming out better than when I came in. Two years goes by, and Pharaoh has a dream. Joseph has watched other people's dreams come to pass while his is still in the waiting room of life. And yet Pharaoh has a dream, and he needs an interpreter. And all of a sudden, you see things coming into fruition when the butler is finally reminded of a man in prison. And guess what? He can interpret dreams. We think God is late, but He's always right on time. And here's something for us to consider this morning. I'm thankful Joseph was still in that prison. He didn't try to work a deal behind the scenes and try to make a way to escape the prison because when it was God's time, God needed him in that prison. Because the same prison that the enemy used to push you down into Joseph will be the same prison, the same situation that I am going to use to exalt you. 
The same situation that the enemy wants to use to destroy you. If you hold on to your faith in the Lord, God can use it to bless you. If you can be still and know that He is God, hold on to your faith. God can step into your mess and He can turn it into a miracle. And now Joseph is second in command over all of Egypt. And now his dream is coming to pass when he's reunited again with the patriarch Jacob and his father passes away and Joseph's brothers are afraid. He's going to pay us back. He's going to seek retribution because we tried to kill him. We tried to steal his dream. What's he going to do? And so they find themselves fulfilling the dream when they literally fall at His feet and they beg for forgiveness. We'll just be your servants. And I love Joseph's response. And part of the reason why my firstborn's name is Joseph. Uh, Genesis chapter 50 and verse 19, Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God. We need to learn that retribution is not ours to seek. Uh, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Uh, But Joseph said, I will let you know something that I learned uh, through the process. Uh, And he says, as for you, uh, you thought evil against me, but God meant it. Uh, That's it. God meant it unto good. He said, you tried to steal my dream, but God used you to bring me to my dream. You tried to steal my purpose, but God used you to bring me to my purpose. My friend, God can take what the enemy has meant for evil. He can take what the enemy has meant to destroy your family, and He can use it for the good. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Come on, somebody. Be still and know that I am God. He makes a way when there seems to be no way. Faithfulness. Well, that sounds good, Brother Henry. I like it. It's got a good ring to it, but my situation's too nasty. It's too many variables. There's too many things wrong. I can't see how God can get glory out of this. But I would humbly and sincerely tell you, I've lived long enough since the fall of man in the beginning of time. God has not had the luxury of working with a perfect situation. Think about it. And He has shown me and He has shown you that God is perfect at working with imperfection. Meaning He can take an imperfect man and an imperfect woman and use them to fulfill His perfect will. And He can take an imperfect situation and He can use that to fulfill His perfect will. It doesn't have to be perfect because God is perfect. It doesn't have to be good because God is good. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. We need to remember the words of Isaiah in Isaiah 44 and verse 6. 
Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first, and I am the last. And beside me, there is no God. There is no equal to me. There is no adversary equal to me. There is no other God beside me. And then in Revelations 22, in verse 13, the final chapter of the Bible, Jesus says, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Now being a one God apostolic, I have to pause for a moment and say that basic math tells us you can't have two first and you can't have two last. Are you thankful you know who Jesus is this morning? Amen. But what I wish to pull out this morning when he says, I am the beginning and the end, the first and the last, what he was saying was, I have the first word and I'm going to have the final word. He said, it started with me and it's going to end with me. My friend, if you hold on to your faith in the Lord, the devil doesn't have the final say over your life. God said, I'm going to have the final word. Come on, somebody. He said, let there be light and he's going to wrap this thing up. And when the dust is settled, he said, I will be exalted among the heathen. God is going to get the glory and we are going to be victorious. If we can hold on to our faith in him. Hallelujah. And Alpha and Omega, the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. When I consider Alpha, the very beginning, I think about Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 5. He says, Before I formed thee in the belly, he said, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, he said, I sanctified. Before the enemy ever knew you existed, you existed in the mind of God. And before He knew you ever had a name, God said you already had a purpose. Before the enemy could ever conjure up anything against my life, God already ordained. God already had a purpose and a dream for me. And He has a purpose and a dream for you. And if you just hold on to your faith, He's going to have the final word. doesn't matter what happens in between. I, if I can stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, God is going to split the Red Sea some way, somehow. The waters are going to part and some way, somehow, I'm going to walk over on dry ground. Some way, somehow, I'm going to be victorious when it's all said and done. And when I think about Omega, the very end, I consider Jeremiah 29 and verse 11. The children of Israel were in the darkest hour of their life. They have been witnessed the, the temple in Jerusalem burned and crumbled to the ground. They were pulled away from the promised land. And here they are, captives in Babylon, living in a pagan land, being mocked by pagan people. The Lord sends them a message to the prophet. 
He says, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. And to give you an expected end. When they needed to hear it the most, God said, I still got my eyes on you. I've seen every tear. I've heard every cry. You may not know it. You may feel like you're alone, forgotten, like Joseph in some doldrum somewhere. But God has seen every tear. And when we consider the history of ancient Israel, history makes a wonderful framework for the Bible. They were there because of the consequences of their actions. They had made bad decisions. Time and time again, God warned them, turn to me, worship me, love me, return to me. But time and time again, they chose debauchery and sin and paganism and false gods and idolatry. All this filth. And God finally had to pull them out of the promised land to bring them back to His presence. That's another story for another time. But here's what it does for me. Even though they had made mistakes, Pastor, even though they had messed up, God still sent them a word and says, I haven't forgotten about you. I still have a plan for you. I come against the lie of the enemy this morning that says because you've made mistakes that God is done with you. If you got off track, God can get you right back on it. If you messed up, His mercy is new every morning. His grace is sufficient. Come on, somebody. God still loves you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And we see this played out so beautifully in the book of Esther. Esther is ten chapters long. And not one time is God's name mentioned through the whole Bible, through the whole chapter, the whole book. Ten chapters. God's name is not mentioned. However, his hand was weaving through the details. You may not feel him. Job said, I don't see him. I look, but he knoweth the way that I take him. God's hands, just like a tapestry, you can't see it on this side. It's ugly, it's messy, it's all this. But if you ever got a glimpse of the other side, it's a beautiful masterpiece. We're in the hands of the master this morning. Haman, the enemy of the Jews, he was an Agagite. Sworn enemies of the Jews. He hated the Jews and he devised a plan to have all the Jews eradicated in a day's time. The Jews will be destroyed off the face of the earth. Uh, that can't be. That can't be so. Yes, it was. The decree was signed. The signet ring was placed. The date was set. Haman had deceived the king and the day had been set. It could not be reversed. In a day's time, the Jews will be eradicated off the face of the earth. It seemed like the enemy ruled the day. He's having his way with us. We can't do nothing. Haman's having his way. Everything he wants is coming to pass. But Haman, you see, he had a lust for authority. And lust is never satisfied. 
everyone was bowing down to his presence except for one man named Mordecai who happened to be a Jew. And Mordecai, Haman says, for Mordecai, I want to do something special. So he builds this gallow, and he was going to hang or impale him on this gallow. And he says, all I have to do is in the morning, I'm going to go and tell the king, today I want Mordecai to die. Haman was second in command over all of the world. Little did Haman know that that night the king could not sleep. And the king asked for the scrolls, the chronicles, to be read aloud to him in his bedchamber. And as they're reading, and I'm going to draw to a close if the musicians will come. As they're reading the scrolls, they come to the, uh, a place where there was an assassination attempt that was revealed and spared the king's life by none other than Mordecai. And I paraphrase, the king says, what did we ever do to dignify this man? What did we ever do to, to pay him back, to give him honor? And they said, well, king, you didn't do anything. He says, well, today will be a good day. You see, Haman was already in the other room, ready to let the king know, today I want Mordecai to die. But what he didn't know was the same day he wanted to kill Mordecai was the same day the king wanted to bless him. We think God is late, but He's always right on time. <clears throat> Let's talk about authority. Authority is a language that the enemy understands. They bow and tremble. The way authority works, it moves in one direction, that's downward. Whoever has the higher authority has the final word. Settled. That's it. So what happens in the case of Esther when the king's plans and the enemy's plans collide? What the king says goes. The king has the final word. And my friend, He is the King of kings. And He is the Lord of lords. And it doesn't matter what Satan wants to do. It doesn't matter what he has to say. The King of kings has the final word over your life. Jesus said, I know the thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and destroy. But he said, but I have a plan of my own that you may have life and life more abundantly. Come on, somebody. We're in the hands of the king this morning. The sweet psalmist of Israel, he lets us know what he was thinking and everyone knows that David knew what suffering was like. He knew what it was like to be hurt, to be betrayed, to be broken. And in Psalms 23 and verse 4, He says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For Thou art with me. Come on, somebody. 
Say it right now. Thou art with me. He says, Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. David said, I'm not going to fear. I'm not going to worry. Why? Because I have the presence and the protection of my shepherd. And my friends, you've got the presence and the protection of the good shepherd this morning. Would you stand with me right now? And if you don't remember anything that I say, I humbly ask that you remember these next words. In verse 5, David says, Thou preparest a table before me. Not on the seashores of peace. Not on the mountaintop of prosperity but in the presence of my enemies. There is a table prepared for you. God has a table prepared for you. It's not a grab-to-go lunch. You can sit and you can see love for a while. You can rest in His presence. You can find comfort in His presence. There is fullness of joy. And so this is what David says in that verse. The enemy's presence does not hinder God's provision. You can be going through every devil in hell this morning, but let me tell you, you can still have a miracle. You can still see a revival. You can still break through and break forth. Because the enemy's presence does not stop God's provision. Hallelujah. You believe it this morning. Let's lift our hands right now. Let's cry out unto the Lord. You're not a victim. You are victorious. You are a child of God. I know you may not see it right now. You may not feel like it right now. But oh, be still and know. Like a seasoned artist skillfully and precisely stroking his brush back and forth across the canvas of life. God's hand is weaving through the details. He's weaving through the mess. He's weaving through the dysfunction. All the while, God's creating a masterpiece. It's going to be beautiful. Just hold on a little bit longer. Come on. You may be sitting in the prison tonight, Joseph. But if you hold on a little longer, in the morning, you're going to be walking with the king. In the morning, you're going to be walking with the king. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. These altars are open right now. But let's just spend some time with the Lord. Come on. If you don't want to come to the front, stay where you are. Lift up your hands and begin to cry out unto the Lord. God wants to do something in this place. God wants to move in this place. Come on. There's comfort. There's healing. There's deliverance. There's blessing right here and right now. 
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Would you pray for somebody next to you right now? Would you lay your hands on somebody next to you right now? Begin to pray for them. In Jesus' name. We're going to get through this. In Jesus' name. We're going to see a victory. We're going to see a victory in our family. We're going to see a victory in our city. We're going to have revival. Lord, I need you Hallelujah. Hold on to your faith, Peter. I pray that your faith fails not. Hold on to your faith. I'm waiting on you. 